Joe McCarroll, Morena. Morena, Jim. You're a John Denver fan? Oh, who isn't? I mean, I'm sorry we can't hear more of that song. <laughs> I've got too much to ask you. I'm sorry we, we've got to curtail that song. Uh, whatever's happening in the world, uh, we still go out into our gardens if we have them. And with tough times still ahead, we can save money by doing so. The New Zealand Gardener editor, Joe McCarroll, has written a new book called Veggie Patch from Scratch. Handsome looking tome. So we'll not only save money, but also grow more nutritious vegetables. Yes, I think it's pretty um, straightforwardly established that what you grow yourself can have more nutritional density than crops that are grown under commercial um, in, in a commercial operation. Sometimes a taste of what you can get in the supermarket suggests there's something lacking in tomatoes and carrots and so on, and spuds can be pretty ordinary. Um, and sometimes you kind of munch through veggies because you have to. You know, you know you have to, or you know you should, because they, instead of because they taste great. And I know some of that's seasonal. I know there are complexities, but you know that that happens. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, vegetables grown under different conditions do taste different, even if it's the same vegetable variety. Um, but you know, I mean, of course, you always feel quite satisfied if you've picked something from the garden. So you like to think that it tastes better. And I definitely think with things like tomatoes, when you're growing them at home, you pick them at peak ripeness, which makes a huge difference to the taste. Tomatoes lose a lot of. Um, most vegetables lose a lot of, say, their volatiles if they're, if they're in cold store at all. Um, that affects the taste quite a lot. Um, but, you know, then there are some things like I think um, peppers and chilies, they actually taste a bit better a couple of days after they're picked. So, you know, it's, it's, sometimes it's just the satisfaction makes them taste better, Jim. And sometimes I think they really, really do taste different. Dr Jessica Hutchings said something to you. Jessica's involved in a Kaupapa Māori organic growing initiative. You were discussing whether the food system is broken. Yeah, Jessica is one of the gardeners I spoke to when I was putting Veggie Patch from scratch together and she's an academic um, who like you say works a lot in food sovereignty and she grows uh, according to um, Hua Parakore which is a kaupapa Māori organic growing system and we were talking and I sort of said just as a throwaway line um, oh yes well the food system is broken because that's the sort of thing yeah I was just trying to sound clever you know and um, Jessica said something that I thought was very very thought-provoking she said the food system isn't broken the food system is working absolutely perfectly because the food system that exists now is designed to make money and it is doing that flawlessly. You could not fault it. Um, so, you know, for that to change, we need to think really differently about food and food production um, and the way we produce food. Um, and, and I think, you know, a, a part of an equitable, resilient and local food system is people grow some of their own food. And I understand people can be quite sort of confronted by that. I'm not suggesting you have to grow everything you eat. I'm saying it's probably possible for you to grow some of it. Yes, and I'll get to that because that's one of the most important parts of your book. In your introduction, accompanied on the facing page of a fetching photo of yourself with a giant zucchini on your head, you say you're surprised that more people don't grow veggies. There'll be people listening at high rises saying, how can I? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, as you mentioned, I edit New Zealand Gardener. I visit a lot of different kinds of gardens. I've visited lots of people in apartment setups or townhouses with very small concreted courtyards who grow food. 
you can. You know, I'm not suggesting you have a full market garden. That would not be possible. But I think, you know, you can grow a few suitable crops. And they would be things like cut and come again salad leaves, probably um, leafy greens, herbs, maybe a tomato in a pot, maybe a chilli, you know. And you're not going to be able to grow everything. But I think if you grow even a little bit of the food that you and your family eat, it introduces a lot of resilience into the food system. And in Veggie Patch from Scratch, I've got a few pictures of different kinds of gardens across New Zealand, including um, one very, um, you know, productive, beautiful looking, um, mark, uh, not market garden, um, edible garden that's on an apartment balcony um, owned by the garden designer, Joanna Hamilton. And even thin, uh, thin strips of dirt in places around the house, as long as they get a bit of sun. Uh, especially with herbs? Oh, absolutely. There's lots of different ways you can grow. You've probably got more opportunities than you think. It's just about widening your um, widening your ideas around what you could do yourself. And leafy greens, all the nutrition advice now says we need more of them in our tummies, and they are ideal candidates to be in little planter boxes outside the door or wherever you can squeeze, squeeze them in. Oh, Absolutely. And if you're growing those cut and come again leafy greens, I mean, I don't, a bag of salad that's probably like five or six dollars now, you're very likely to throw half of that away because they do not last once they've been cut from the plant. Um, you know, you can have those in very small spaces. You can grow a lot more. People think it's, people sort of get quite locked on lettuce, and lettuce is awesome. I grow a lot of lettuces, but there's so many things you can use as leafy greens. You know, corn salad or miner's lettuce are great to grow at home. Um, rocket is really easy and almost can be treated as a as an annual because it'll self-seed so readily. Uh, I think, you know, the mizuna or tatsoi, so many different kinds of leafy crops that are quite easy, quite fast, and you can just do that bit yourself. Continue buying other things at the shops, but just produce leafy greens. Tell us about square metre gardening. Oh, now this is a system um, that I use sort of a fairly loosely interpretive version of at home. Um, there was a book, I think, in the 80s by an American gardener that was called The Square Foot Garden, what with being American, and that really popularised it. But it's a system that sort of existed in different forms um, for hundreds of years, to be honest. And it, it's growing uh, intensively and you plant, um, rather than in the traditional kind of rows in the in the garden, you're planting in clumps in a grid. So if you think of your veggie growing space like a chessboard, um, and then in each square of the chessboard you put in a certain number of plants and that number depends on the size of maturity and the speed of growth. Um, and so that there's lots of advantages to it. The plants can form a living mulch over the ground, which uh, reduces weeding, um, which I'm not a fan of weeding. I tend to like to avoid it if I can and plant to avoid it. Mm. Um, and it's quite manageable, I think, with um, a smaller family. I'm just cooking for um, me and my partner, so just the two of us, just growing for the two of us. And so, you know, you just put in a couple of things, you take out a couple of things. But it does probably suit people who are a bit little and often about the garden. Um, it's not going to suit if you're a real Labor Weekend hero who goes and puts the whole garden in in one day and doesn't really want to go into it again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Rooftop gardens can be very productive too, as well as balcony gardens, says Stuart. I've got a lot to ask you, um, and the questions are coming in too. Uh, growing in pots, growing in tyres, any quick tips? Um, well, growing in pots, I think I'd say get the right crop. It's about growing things that suit growing in pots. And I would say it's all about water. If you're not someone who's going to water, and you know that about yourself by the stage 
you know, of adulthood. I think you know if you're someone who's, you know, scrupulous about watering. Um, if you're not going to water, get a self-watering pot. You can make them yourself. They're quite easy to hack together, but that will just take that out of it because watering is probably where it fails. When it comes to growing in tyres, I actually don't do that, Jim, uh, and I don't, I don't really recommend it. Um, I know there are popular... Um, way to, you know, they're used a lot in community gardens because, of course, they're very easily available. And, and people, to grow potatoes. People yeah. think you can upcycle. Yeah, and they, yeah. And they heat sink because they're black. But I don't know. I mean, what's in... I remember hearing a, a scientist at Plant and Food talk about this a few years ago. Um, what's in tyres includes a variety of different things like heavy metals. Right. And then you think about what they pick up when they're in use. Yeah. Um, you know how that leaches through into soil and how that gets taken up by your growing plants um that i don't think is exactly understood i don't i've never seen anything which breaks that down really really clearly all the way through mm. but i would say there are so many things you can grow in and so many of them are free and freely available i wouldn't use tires in an edible garden hi jim re veggie patch from scratch would you please Ask Joe for a little advice for 421 metres above Dunedin. So Neville's quite high up. We'd like to establish a kitchen garden with greenhouse and tunnel, plus outside if some species can cope. That's the question, I think, from Neville. To what extent things you don't think can maybe survive a climate in fact, can. Yeah, and it is really worth thinking about, um, Neville, but I would say you will get the best results from your home garden wherever you live if you grow things that really like growing in your climate. And that's not to say you can't grow crops that are marginal for your climate, because you can. All that plants want to do is grow. They will grow if they are even any way they can grow. But for things to thrive and to be as productive as possible and also to sort of swerve pests and diseases as much as possible, yeah. I think you're best to grow what suits your climate. So if you're above Dunedin, um, I'll tell you what does quite well at a higher altitude is garlic. Obviously, it's not a great time to plant it, but I know you have your problems with garlic rust are greatly reduced if you're at altitude. How much sun does garlic need? Garlic needs pretty much full sun. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd say a good uh, tomato, I think, for Wellington, um, anywhere windy, is Scoresby Dwarf, which stays quite low, or Scoresby, which is an heirloom tomato that I really particularly like, great flavour. Um, if you are in a windy spot, if you're up high, I'd focus on stuff that does stay pretty low. Plants don't really like wind, um, but that leaves you, you know, heaps you can grow um, in terms of, like, all your leafy greens, all your herbs. I read in the book that edibles don't like wind. I've never actually thought of that before. No, it's just... It, it's just a stress to plants, wind. Um, and so they're like airflow. You can't grow them in a really enclosed space with no air movement. But if it's really breezy, it affects things like your pollinators. It just sort of, and you know, blows them around a bit more than they like. And yeah. I'll tell you what else, it whips water out of the soil. It just, wind is so drying. And so if you're in a windy spot, you're going to have to water a lot more. So, and that can be a real issue if you are growing on something like a balcony in an apartment. It's very hard to yeah, avoid wind. Yeah, good point. Uh, every person in New Zealand could be salad self-sufficient, you say. Look, we're exhorted, you know, to make 
as I said before, salad greens and leafy green veggies are a big part of our diet. <clears throat> Excuse me. But which ones? Because a lot of people don't like what they call rabbit food. You hear it quite a bit. They know a lettuce when they see one. They may struggle once they get past spinach. People love bok choy or they don't. Same with cabbage. Any advice on what best to try beyond an iceberg lettuce? Yeah, some of those crops I mentioned before, I think if you find lettuce a bit boring, maybe try something with a bit more pepper in it, like you know, um, the wild rocket can be quite flavoursome. Nasturtium, which will grow like a weed, the leaves of that. I wouldn't have a salad purely of nasturtium leaves. That would be a bit of a grim prospect. But um, things like chicory, they've got a, a sort of bitterness flavour profile. Um, and then, of course, you can, if you feel so inclined, use a few oxalis leaves or cleavers, things like that. You can throw them in just to mix it up a bit. I mean, I think if you find salad a bit boring, try a salad that's made up of a lot of different things. It makes it a lot more interesting to eat. Susan says dandelions. Dandelions can be eaten, you remind us. And in the book also, oxalis? Oxal- they all can be eaten. Oxalis? I mean, I'm not suggesting they should form the basis of your diet, you know. <laughs> it's I think yummy the, oxalis. I think the idea of like, let's just make a big <laughs> bowl of oxalis and watch a movie. Um, no, I think, um, you know, it's they're, they're edible rather than palatable in my experience. But um, it's quite fun to just go and get a bit of something that grew itself and and throw it in the salad. I definitely find um, you know, I actually genuinely do not um, do a lot of foraging but if I'm making a pesto, I think it really jazzes it up to throw in a few uh, a few different things. But I would say go leaf by leaf rather than harvesting on a commercial scale. You can kill oxalis with a baking soda spray, I discovered. Mm. That's if you don't like oxalis and don't want to put it in the yummy salad. (laughs) You make the good point that you can be bamboozled by a lot of advice about soil quality and pH levels and starting a garden seems too hard. But as you say, you yourself have killed many plants that you've planted. They die and the police never come. Well, I think it's the idea that – and this is something people have sort of said to me. They say, oh, I'd love to have a garden but I tried gardening once and I failed. And I'm like, you get to go again. You know, you get as many tries as you want. Um, You can keep gardening and some plants will die and plants die for me and they still die for me. And you should think about why they died and what you might do differently next time. But gardening, you learn through trial and error and error is part of that. So it's not a problem if you fail at a couple of things. I think it's really inspiring for people to succeed when they start out. And that's why I'm all about having really good information, starting with something that's a little bit bomb-proof, that's very likely to succeed. Um, but it, you know, don't worry too much if you fail. You get to go again, it's no problem. Trying to plant seedlings in high wind is futile, says Diana. They all break. All the seeds break. I don't want to try and do the job of your book. In it, you say vegetable crops ideally should run in rows north to south for the sun? Well, okay, there's two rules of, there's two schools of thought on this. North to south means the light goes along the rows, um, and so they get maximum light. But east to west, I believe, gives you maximum heat. Um, so this, you know, I, I, um, mix it up. I tend to plant, you know, I don't grow a lot in rows. Um, but you know, you can't, you can do either way. Don't get too worked up about that. But, um, that is the, the conventional wisdom is north to south. You've got a Kapiti Coast Garden in here with sun umbrellas over raised beds. Yeah, that was, um, a New Zealand gardener reader, actually. She sent that picture in and, um, 
I, I was trying to make the point that you should put your vegetable garden in the sunniest spot because it is easy to create shade. It doesn't mean all vegetables want all sun all the time. Certainly, all those leafy greens they appreciate a bit of shade in the in the sun if it's you know in the summer when it gets really hot. But it is easy peasy to create shade. And this gardener had just bought a few of those cheap sun umbrellas and put them up, and that meant she could leave the garden for a few days if she was going on holiday. And less is more. You talk about someone planting a hundred tomato plants in a fit of great zeal. You say just put six in. Uh, speaking of tomatoes, and that'll be enough for a good crop. Um, the benefits of hybrid versus heirloom varieties. What's your opinion here? Yeah, I've sort of really changed my thinking on this um, in the years I've been in gardening. I mean, when I started out, I was really into hybrids. Um, I was really into heirlooms, rather. They're so romantic. They've got amazing stories. They've always got amazing names. You know, they're really fun. Um, And I still grow a lot of heirloom crops, and I love them. And heirloom crops, of course, you can save seed from because they are true to type. You can they're open pollinated. You can harvest seed, um, but I would say I do grow more hybrids now because I do think, especially with tomatoes, um, the productivity is just hard to match. Um, I know I was talking um, to my friend Jack Hobbs, who's the manager at um, Auckland Botanic Gardens, about this, and he said, you know, you often hear people say that the flavour is not as good, um, but actually that's probably because people often buy hybrid tomatoes from the supermarket, as we were saying, and if tomatoes have been cool stored, they will lose a lot of their flavour. Um, so it's more about um, how they've been treated rather than the tomatoes themselves. I think if you grow, and if you're someone who just has never grown any hybrids and think you never would, I would say put a hybrid tomato next to an heirloom tomato and um, and see the difference. Okay. Um, so it's no problem with growing heirlooms. I grow them too. I love them. Um, but if you're only going to grow maybe one tomato or if you're growing in a condition in a situation where you want maximum productivity, hybrids probably are more productive. I mean, they are more productive. No probably about it. Veggie Patch from scratch, Joe McCarroll is our guest. It's 29 minutes to midday, 2101 if you're texting. Yates released a vegetable survey through the week. Did you see this? Naming yes, Vegelection. Na- Vegelection, naming New Zealand's most loved uh, and most despised veggies. Uh, tomatoes, broccoli, kumara, carrots, peas, most popular, kale, okra, broad beans, swedes, Brussels sprouts, for shame, least popular. And I emailed them and said, what happened to the spud? And it turns out the spud was left out because, uh, despite its overwhelming popularity, because it's used in less strictly spud-like contexts, uh, once it gets turned into fries and crisps. If you could take, Joe, if you could take only one vegetable with you into exile on an island, what would that vegetable be? Well, if I had time to prepare, I would graft a tomato onto a potato rootstock and then I would graft on a chilli and an eggplant because then I could make baba ganoush while I waited to be rescued. What an inventive answer. Yeah. Well, that because they're all in the Silentia family, so they would would all um, graft. This may, of course, fail. It's quite a it's a risky strategy, Jim. <laughs> and imagine it failing on the island when it yes. was your only strategy. <laughs> I like the answer. Fish and coconuts for me. <laughs> I hated broad beans when I was young, but I love them now. Do you have any hates? Um, oh, I'm not. I don't particularly like celery. I never grow much celery because I don't really like it. I mean, I make. Um, I use it, you know, a bit when I'm making a, a mitapoi or something, but. Um, Probably, I think, silver beet, if it's gotten stringy, 
beans if they've gotten stringy. But you can make anything taste delicious, I find, if you harvest it at the right time and um, you cook it in the right way. Joe McCarroll is with us, and Gregor Paul will be joining us shortly too. I um, I noticed that you have a, a section here on attracting good bugs and repelling bad ones. Some advice here, please. Well, I mean, this is something people um, get quite sort of... People have a lot of theories about um, attracting and repelling bugs. So I'm all about attracting good bugs. I would say plant to attract good bugs. Plant plants that have nectar and pollen available to good bugs. So the real heavy hitters there would be phacelia and alyssum and buckwheat. But I also grow um, like calendula and I grow... um, borage and I've got marigolds. I've got all sorts of things in my edible garden that are there to support those good bugs. And then those good bugs predate upon the bad bugs. So that is the dynamic you're looking for. You'll often see a lot of... um, a lot of stuff where people say something will repel an insect or repel a bug. Yes, you do. That's where I think that it, it gets a bit shaky. You know, people talk about, say, um, garlic yeah. um, repelling aphids. Yeah. Um, and that's because when garlic is um, crushed or damaged, it releases this um, something called um, allicin, which is uh, which will repel aphids. But it doesn't just release it all the time while it's growing. It's, it's a defense mechanism. When garlic is damaged, that's why you crush garlic when you cook it, because yeah. that Allison is released. Um, so if you're just growing it, it's not releasing it at all. It's doing nothing. I don't think it would make any difference to aphids. I've never seen it make any difference yeah, to aphids. Yeah, and that's a really important point because people make that claim all the time. We've been made much more aware of the perils that can lurk in soil, parasitic larvae and fungi and bacteria, and as you said earlier, rem- remnants of chemicals. But getting your hands dirty in the garden can make you feel better. Um, Mycobacterium vacai, I think you and I have talked about that before, triggers the release of serotonin in our brains, according to research. So gloves on or off? I think you should wear gloves if you're handling anything like potting mix or compost. That's just a safety measure. Um, But, yeah, I work in the garden without gloves if I'm just working in the garden. Um, I don't mind my hands getting dirty. I think there's something really satisfying about that. I think it's a a great feeling to be out with your hands in the soil. Um, But, But, yeah, I mean, if you've got real concerns about your soil, I would say... Um, soil safe Aotearoa offer free testing if you want to get a profile in terms of heavy metals and um, but if you know your garden if you've worked in your garden for a long time I, I think it's quite satisfying to have your hands in the soil yeah why do you warm up your soil in spring just quickly how do you do that uh, you can do it if you've got if you're wanting to put something in and your um, your soil temperature is not quite where you want it to be. You might use cloches to warm up the soil. You can just put down a layer of um, if you've got some kind of heavy duty plastic um, in direct contact with the soil for a few days, and that'll raise the soil temperature a little bit. Um, and that just helps things, like I say, grow under optimum conditions. Your plants to be at maximum health because that is a great way to garden. It avoids a lot of problems. And that's always what you should be wanting to do. Avoid the problems rather than solve them. Just a quick quick dash through a few more. You're a no-dig gardener, as nature intended, but there is um, no shortage of gardeners who swear by digging. And I've found, for example, that if, if tikoka cabbage trees are... Uh, are in the soil, they magically rot away, whereas they never do on the top of the soil. It's a, is there any right way or wrong way? No, I think find what works for you. I like no dig. I think it makes sense. I mean, the reason why those cabbage trees are rotting away is because of all the life in your soil, and all that life is interconnected. So if you are digging, you can be breaking up some of those um, interconnected um, structures that are there. Um, but, I mean... 
you know, if if it works for you to dig, then dig. I'm not coming here and saying this is the right way to do it. Just do it the way that works and observe what is happening and then continue to experiment and try things. Um, that's probably going to give you better results than following a really prescriptive set of rules. You've got advice. You've used the phrase a couple of times. You've got advice in this book for cut and come again crops like cabbages, broccoli and cauliflower. And you show us how best to do that. You say if you grow nothing else, grow herbs, they'll cut your food bill just by adding the, just by flavouring. Well, I guess they wouldn't cut your food bill so much as make your life much more interesting without spending much money. Um, And yeah, broccoli and um, cabbage and cauliflower, they're, they're not quite exactly cut and come again. But if you take off the main head and leave the stump in the ground, you'll get another, um, you tend to get another smaller heads form, normally four at the points of a compass sort of arrangement. Okay. You, you say it pay, pays to put peas in early, so early would be almost round about now? Uh, yeah, I would say your peas should be in and cropping in. now, to be okay. honest. Um, right. But uh, yeah, they're in. I garden in Auckland and I treat them as a shoulder season crop because they don't really like it too hot. Okay. Um, but if you're down south, you might be able to keep them going all through summer, but I don't keep them going through summer. I, tr- I grow them in spring and I grow them in autumn. Heidi's buttered radishes are in here. You say radishes don't get the respect they deserve because they grow so easily. Yeah, they grow so easily. That's a, um, a letter I got from a reader of New Zealand Gardener years ago, and she said, um, she said she just didn't see the point of radishes. And she said a line that I've never forgotten. She said, have you ever gone to the fridge thinking, what will I make for dinner, and opened the fridge and thought, if only I had a radish. <laughs> and anyway, after that, I tried to find ways to eat radishes. And this is the best way, which is literally on bread, on buttered bread with really nice butter, really good bread, and you put a bit of salt on them. And they are delicious. Heidi, if you're listening, give it a go. <laughs> Great tip. Taiwa, Maori potatoes, uh, Chatham Island potatoes, my brother called them. I think he brought some back from there. They're delicious. Where can you find those potatoes? Well, actually, you can get them in the garden centre now, that wasn't true for a long time, but I think Morton Smith Door, who are a seed potato supplier, um, they do a whole range now. And that's really thanks um, to a friend of mine, a New Zealand gardener contributor, Professor Nick Roskridge, who is um, part of the uh, Tahuri Whenua National Murray Vegetable Growers Collective. They've done a huge amount of work to ensure that a range of taiwa are available to home gardeners. And if you haven't tried them, do try them. They are delicious. They grow so easily. I use them almost as a mulch, a living mulch under some of my fruit trees. Um, you can just bandicoot them after about well, f- 15 weeks or so. Um, and, yeah, they're, they're sort of a butterier taste than the potatoes that were introduced after European settlement and really worth growing. But don't peel them. Just no. serve them. They are nice. You've got – just finally, you've got spacing charts at the end of the book. But can't you break those rules? Because I grow potatoes in pots in a more crowded setting, and they come up well. Yeah, you absolutely can break those rules. It's more that I think I've got um, charts for spacing and charts for temperature, and that's because I think that's something you get wrong when you start out. You tend to really crowd stuff, and you tend to plant stuff when it's too cold. Um, So they're more like a good starting point. But if you are growing something and you're going to – sow it a lot closer than you know is recommended on the packet say but you know you're going to harvest it at a baby leaf stage you know you know you're going to um, take it out a bit early you know that's fine for you that's absolutely no problem you can grow things closer and I often do myself veggie patch from scratch with its handsome cover Joe McCarroll has been with us thank you for answering all those questions Uh, well done on the book thank you very much Jim